that we have made available and that you are taking this seriously, and I'm sure you all have, that by the end of the month, you are going to notice a new level of, a, of awareness of the Lord. You're going, you are going to notice a very different vibrancy, spiritual vibrancy about yourself. Anybody experiencing that already? A change that's happening. So I want to encourage you, don't be slothful, don't be lazy. But really, let's move ahead with this because as we spend more time praying, the more that we do, the more time we spend with the Lord, the more that He fills us, the more that we're aware of Him. I was listening to a uh, little YouTube about Smith Wigglesworth. I mean, most of you probably don't even know who he was, but he was an amazing man of God. He was never had any education. He was illiterate, his wife, until he was married, and his wife taught him how to read, and then he read the Bible. He wanted to read and write, and he read the Bible, the only book he'd ever read. And he read it over and over and over. And I was listening to, I think it was his great-granddaughter, talking about him on a YouTube interview, and she said that Grandpa, as she called him, would call in uh, her father or you know one of his son-in-laws and say, sit down, young man, come here, young man. He's a real rough sort of fellow, kind of an austere Englishman sit down, and he would read him a little bit of the New Testament. And then he would say, now doesn't that make you feel a little bit closer to Jesus today? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, you can go now. There was a closeness this man walked in that is missing for much of us in our lives today. I don't know why, but I know that uh, if we will continue to press into God and to, and to, to push some of these other distractions out of her way, that God will reward us. The Wigglesworth, the Lord used him in amazing ways. I, couldn't, it was, uh, I think it was 18 people that were raised from the dead in his ministry. He would pick them up. One little boy, he picked them up when they used to have uh, funerals in their homes. And the father had called him. My little six-year-old boy was dead. And Wigglesworth went into the room and shut the door behind him, wouldn't let anybody in. Went over to the coffin, picked the boy up, stood him up against the wall, and commanded him to live. Life to come back to him, into him, in the name of Jesus Christ. And guess what happened? He was able to present that little boy to his father. Now, I'm just telling you, there's one little story about Wigglesworth. Why am I telling those stories? I want to encourage us to understand the power that God has available for us. So the title of this message is really called The Mystery of Prayer. The Mystery of Prayer. Why do we have to even pray? Does anybody even know why we have to pray? Well, God just wants to hear our voice. He wants us to get closer. No, God has given to the church authority. You know that? We've been teaching about this in our class on Wednesday night. God has given in the church authority. In Luke chapter 10, chapter 9 and chapter 10, in chapter 10 he gave the 72 of his disciples authority over all the works of the enemy. He gave them authority. Now, why does God give the people authority? Why did Jesus give people authority? It's because Jesus had all authority given to him. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And when Jesus came onto the earth, when he came to the earth, what did he do? He brought the kingdom of God. And what part of that was is battling and dealing with 
the God of this world, so-called God of this world, the devil. Jesus was continually pushing back and setting people free from the bondage of the devil. Right? Yes. He was continually healing the sick because death was not something God had designed for mankind. Death came as a, as a part of the dis, uh, a rebellion towards God. Death entered into the world, didn't it? And Jesus was constantly pushing back death, pushing back sickness, pushing back disease. By what? By healing all who came to him. There was authority given them. And then he gave the authority to his disciples. Now the church, it waxes and wanes over the centuries. Sometimes the church gets a revelation of the power that God's given them, given us. And then when that happens, as we saw back in the, the Pentecostal days, starting around 1906 or so, the Azusa Street Revival and thereabouts, there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. The great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that came with such power that the, the gifts of the Spirit were, were taken seriously by the body of Christ and men and women went all over the world with the Pentecostal power. And as they went out with that Pentecostal power, they saw the deaf, deaf were healed, the blind could see, uh, uh, the uh, dead were raised, and this was just a little while back. And this really went on into the 1950s, even into the 60s, the power of God. So many people today have no understanding of the power that God had placed upon the church. That's waned. Whether it's the church's fault or God's fault. I can't say anything is God's fault. I would say it's the church's fault because we haven't pressed in to that Pentecostal power as on the day of Pentecost. Last week we sang a song, Lord, send the fire. It was by, by William Booth, send the fire. Send the fire once again, Lord. That Pentecostal fire that turns the world upside down. God has called us to be His co-workers on this earth. Did you know that? Co-laborers. Co-workers. Apostle Paul. We are co-workers with God. We are co-laborers with God. So why, then, is it necessary for people to pray? So we can know His will. We can know His will, but also that His will can be in implica uh, implemented. implemented. So His will can be implemented into this world. God has chosen human beings little old you, little old me, to be able to stand in a place and to pray. He's given us that privilege to pray that we may see God's will come to pass. As we just prayed a few moments ago, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has given us authority because everything we see going on in the world today is not the will of the Lord. And if you haven't noticed, things are getting darker. Things are getting more uh, darker and dirtier, and you name it, right? There's just this flood of evil, and the church sits and we stand in our churches singing Amazing Grace, and it's a wonderful song. But God has not called us just for that. God has called us to be prayer warriors. 
with authority. Now, authority. Again, I covered this a lot before, but we've talked about authority. God has given, God gave, when he created the earth, he gave man authority over the earth, didn't he? We know the story, it's out of Genesis, the first part of Genesis, where Satan came and he deceived the woman and they sinned. And death came into the world, right? And then that authority was given to Satan, right? He usurped that authority that man had. And now he takes authority over the world. His kingdoms are everywhere. His, his ideology, his, his thinking, his mindset is everywhere. It's dark. Everywhere in the world that we go, where there's not the light of the gospel, there's darkness in the minds of men and women, right? Oh yeah, is that right? Right? Give me a little encouragement here. Come on, wake up. <laughs> then Jesus comes. This is just in a nutshell. Jesus comes as a human being. 100% bona fide human being, 100% God. Not half and half. 100%. And he did what? Took back the authority from who? The devil. The devil. And then what did he do with that authority? He gave it to the church under him because we are in our, we are organically connected with Christ. He is the head, as I just read a few moments ago, and we are the body from generations, generations, those who are in Christ. He's given his power and his authority under his direction into the church that we may proclaim his will, that we may pray his will into a situation. If we think that we can just sit back and hope something's going to happen or some, some change is going to happen, some miracle might fall out of the air, some kind of a thing, we, we're probably going to wait a long time because the Lord has called us he has given you and I the privilege to be history makers. We sing that song. I want to be a history maker. I want to be a speaker of truth. But he has given us that ability, that privilege, I should say, under his name, in his name, under his authority, here on the earth, because God has chosen to use people on the earth. His people. Does he not? Now, God doesn't, apparently... According to a number of writers, God only does, he works with men and women. He works with his church. And if his church isn't praying, if his church isn't concerned about something, things aren't going to happen. Let me read a little bit out of a book that's called Destined for the Throne by a man named Bilheimer. And he puts it this way. He quotes uh, some theologians and such. John Wesley, who was the, the, the man who was the head of the Methodist church, the founder of it. John Wesley said, God will do nothing but an answer to prayer. This is why S.D. Gordon said that the greatest thing anyone can do for God and for man is to pray. This is why he also said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. This is also, this also explains the statement, prayer is striking the winning blow. Now I want to encourage you with prayer. Service is gathering up the results. Prayer is striking the winning blow and service is gathering up the results. It likewise explains the statement, 
of E.M. Bounds. Many of you know who E.M. Bounds was about prayer. God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying, praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. The mightier the forces against evil. The prayers of God's saints are the capital stock of heaven by which God carries on his great work upon the earth. God conditions the very life and prosperity of his cause on prayer. If these things are true, then prayer should be the main business of our day. If these things are true, prayer should be the main business of our day. Would you agree with that? Yes. You see the, how important it is to pray. Many of us are praying because we are trying to get, stand in a place and trying to get God to do something. Oh God, will you just hear me? Can't you hear me? I'm just a little old me. Could you just, did you just? But God is saying, no, we are praying from a place of victory, not from a place of hope. Desperation. I mean, we may be desperate and we may be having hope, but there is a different place that God wants to bring us into as a church. As I was listening to this interview with Wigglesworth's granddaughter, great-granddaughter, she told the story of Howard Carter. Now, some of you probably mostly don't know who Howard, Howard Carter was, but Howard Carter was uh, was a predecessor of Lester Summerall. Do you remember Lester Summerall? He just passed away not too many years ago. Great man of God. He was. Uh, he met Howard Carter. And Carter was an Englishman. He met Carter, and he, the Lord spoke to him. He went home, packed his bags, and he got on a boat with Howard Carter, and they traveled the world preaching the gospel. Where are those people today, by the way? He went all through Asia preaching the gospel with Howard Carter, evangelizing. Ended up in the Philippines. I believe it was the uh, largest church in the world that was started in the Philippines. I believe Lester was the pastor of that church. And she told, the granddaughter told the story of Howard Carter, how he took authority. He was imprisoned because he was a conscientious objector to the war. And he was in his prison cell and there was a drip of water, dripping, dripping, dripping. And he said, Lord, will you stop that drip? And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, you stop that drip. You use the authority I gave you. You stop that drip. So he said to the drip, water, go back where you came from, and don't you ever return. And guess what happened? The water went back, and it never returned. So using the authority that Christ has given us is so important that we learn as a church. Oh, another man, I'll tell you another quick story, it was uh, John Wimber. He was the founder, he used to be part of the Righteous Brothers. Remember that old musical group? <laughs> I love the songs, kind of like that. But he was their business agent, keyboard player. <clears throat> he got radically saved, came to Jesus Christ. He was out of a Las Vegas nightclub, the drugs, the drinking, and all that stuff. Got radically saved. And he was called, there was a girl who was demonized. And this girl was... You know, it was a demon manifesting. And John Wimber was praying, Lord, set her free. Set her free. Lord, deliver her. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I've given you authority. You speak the words. You set her free. It's the authority that God has given the church. Now, as a Christian, I almost feel, I almost feel arrogant to think that I have authority. 
Is that how it makes you feel? There's almost a sense of, wow, God would entrust me with authority? But God does entrust us with authority. And He wants us to use it. Not for our glory, but for the glory of His kingdom. For the glory of His kingdom. Now, a lot of people want to see more signs and wonders and miracles and so forth. They want to see that. But it's oftentimes for the wrong reason. The reason we oftentimes want is to say, I'm working, and I'm, God's using me and doing all these power things. You know, wow, look at all the people that I've healed. Look at all this, right? Is that the attitude that many people get? Say, well, I can take credit for that. If we want signs and wonders, the right motive <laughs> is that the God be glorified through them. That people be set free through them. Does that make sense? The motive to have signs and wonders and healings and miracles and deliverances is that people's sufferings could be ended and that there could be a testimony, a witness to the goodness and glory of Christ. Amen to that? Amen. So again, so what I'm saying about these people, Howard Carter and the drip and John Wimber with the, the girl, is, I mean, that in a sense is hearsay. It's not scripture, but it matches up with scripture, doesn't it? It matches up. And we always have to be careful when we hear stories about people, because they're, they're stories, and they may be very true, they may be 100%, but it's not the same as the scripture. But what does the scripture show us? You guys out there today? Yep. You doing okay today? Yep. Okay, good. What does the scripture show us today? I'll give you an example. When the disciples said to Jesus, they said, look, Lord, there are all these people out here. Look at there's thousands of people out there. You know, they just counted the men. So if they had 5,000 people, it could have been three, four, five times that with women and children. And they said, what are, how are we going to feed them? There's no, there's no place, there's no markets to buy food. We don't have enough money to take a year's wages to buy food for all these people. And what did Jesus say? You feed them. You feed them. Why would he say that? Was he being assumptuous? He had given them the authority. I want you to do what I do. Greater works shall you do because I'm going to the Father. But in the meantime, I want you to do these works. And a number of situations like that in the scripture where he gives his people authority. Now let's break that down. Talk about authority. Let's break that down a little. How does that work in our life today? How do you and I, how can we take authority in our lives? Well, I'll ask you a question. How many of you parents here have children that oftentimes get sick on Saturday nights? Anybody want to raise their hand? It's like a consistency. Saturday night, your kids get sick. Right? Does that give you a little tip off to anything? <laughs> If your kids are getting sick on Saturday night and you're planning on going to church on Sunday morning or they get sick on Sunday morning, what does that do? That keeps you and your family out of church, right? So for whatever reason, whatever's going on, you have authority in your household to say to the spirit of infirmity, no, you're not going to come into our house. You see, we are involved in a spiritual war. We are involved in a spiritual war, and it's more real than we usually understand it to be. 
So as parents, you have authority as Christian believers to pray for your children to be made well. Because Jesus shows that example, right? We could have confidence from the scripture, have confidence to know that if Jesus were here, standing in the flesh, whatever ailment you had, whatever need you had, you could come to him. And did he ever, was there ever an example of him turning somebody away? There's never an example. So that gives us faith, doesn't it? That knowledge gives us faith, knowing that we can do such and such. What if you're out of a job? and you're desperate for finances. Can you pray and ask God to provide, take authority over that area? Absolutely. We've done that many, many times in our early life, having to pray for God to provide and taking authority over the enemy. Now, to understand what are natural causes, what are caused by attacks, by the enemy, the spirits, the demonic spirits, and what is just happens in nature, takes time and it takes discernment. So it's not like everything is a demon. Everything is caused by a demon, right? There's natural things that happen. There's fall on things in the state. Somebody gets drunk and they go out on the street and they drive and they drive, or they get too tired and they drive through a red light and hit somebody and hurt somebody. You can't necessarily say, that. well, that was a devil. No, that was a human... Human frailty, right? It was an accident. But there are things that as you get more attuned to the spiritual realm, uh, as you grow, you'll start to see patterns that the enemy will have. And you notice those patterns, you say, now that's, that's the enemy working here. We need to take authority over that. You can take authority over the... the uh, the temptations that come your way to your children, especially when they have friends that want to influence and drag them off into some areas. You can take authority over those areas against the spiritual thing. Do you know that? We have been given authority. It's important that we walk in the authority because if we don't use the authority against the enemy, guess what he will do? He will turn the sword back on us and use it against us. How does he typically, typically do that? Deception. Deception. The world, this is some of you are going to say, if you don't have a biblical understanding of this, some of you are going to think, what are you saying? The whole world is under Satan's deception. Right? Yes, you read the Bible, the whole world. I'll read it. I'll read you a couple things here. I see some skepticism, maybe. I don't know. Maybe some confusion. Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes to us. He's writing to the Ephesian church. Ephesus church in Ephesus, but also to us. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But, I love the buts, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean, to be seated with Christ in heavenly places? What does that mean? Do you know that the church has been seated in heavenly places with Christ? That's a position and place of authority. That's being in the throne room with God. That's how God looks at the church. So important for us to understand that. Let's move ahead. And we'll close in just a little bit. So the, the prayer of authority is so important. We've been deputized as God's deputies on the earth. When we see things happening in the world, in politics, in the world around us, we can pray that God would bring change to those. Do you know who Reese Howells was? He was an intercessor. He was a Welshman. He was an intercessor. And during the world, world War II, he was over in England. He started an intercessor, school of intercession for people. Intercession is one of the types of prayers where we learn to pray and intercede in a situation. We stand in the gap, as it says in Ezekiel, that God looked for a man when he was bringing judgment on Israel to stand in the gap. And he said, I could find no man. I could find no one who would stand in the gap. Reese Howells taught his, his students how to stand in the gap. Germans were coming, the Blitzkrieg were coming, and story after story after story, their prayers stopped a lot of the German attacks in England. That is the power that the church has. But it's not a power that just we can do willy-nilly sort of a thing. It's a power of devotion to Christ and as his son or daughter. God has called us to be more than just nice little Christians. He's called us to be warriors. Okay, now I'm going to start into my notes. <laughs> but don't worry, I'm just going to close up. There's, there's a number of prayers that I have listed here, and these aren't, and I will talk about these hopefully later on. But the first prayer is the sinner's prayer, which we prayed earlier today with anyone that wanted to commit their life to Jesus Christ. There's a prayer of consecration and submission, relinquishment. We see that prayer when Jesus prayed to the Father, and he said, Not my will, Father, but your will be done, right? That's a prayer of submission and relinquishment, where we surrender to His will. It's the only place where we say, if it be your will. Because if we don't know if it's His will, we have no faith. So let me just say on that, if we're praying prayers, people to be healed, or our kids to have peace at night, and we're saying, if it be your will, we just pretty much negated our prayer. Because there's no faith there. I'm not sure. I'm doubting. We have to pray with faith, knowing when it's His will. It's not His will for your children to be tormented. Whether it are night, night, uh, nightmares or whatever it might be. There's a prayer of supplication, Luke 10, 22. This is a story where Jesus said, Beseech the Lord of harvest, that He would send in the laborers. Oh, my goodness, beseech them. Why would we have to ask God to send laborers into his harvest? You ever wonder that? Pardon? It's partnership. 
He gave authority to his church. He gave authority in the world to man. And so God's dealing in the earth goes through men. Women, mankind, right? So he's saying Jesus is beseeching us. What does it mean to beseech? Some translators almost use the word begging. God is continually begging us to pray. Pray. Pray that these things will happen. Pray that these things don't happen on the earth. That's why we can have a power, we can see people set free from demonic oppression, and a lot of you have been, is because we know we have the authority of Christ to speak to those wicked uh, spirits and command them to loose people and come out of their life and set them free, right? That's why we've seen so many physical healings, is because we pray over people in the name of Jesus, and we see... How many physical healings have we seen? I don't know. I have no hundreds, thousands probably, of physical healings in people's lives because we can pray with authority. All right. Intercessory prayer. That's where we stand in the gap. Ephesians, or 1 Timothy 2, 1. There's an example. First of all, when we come together to pray, we're to pray for those in authority that we may have a peaceful life, right? We're interceding. We're praying for our president. We're praying for our government. We're praying for our city council. We're praying, why? That we may have a peaceful life. Good idea? You want a peaceful life? That may go well? Pray for those people. It says, first of all, prayer of agreement. Matthew 18, 19. Where two or more gather and agree. Jesus said, I'll be done by my Father, which is who art in heaven. Travailing prayer. An example of that would be Jeremiah. I know I'm going through this really fast. 9, 17 through 20. Travailing prayer. What is travailing prayer? It says, cry out, call out for the wailing women. It's Travail, it's travail, it's travail in prayer. Oh God, oh God, oh God, you've got to work, you've got to act, you've got to come into the scene, you've got to change the situation. And you may be travailing over your children at times, or your husband, or your wife. And then there's the last one that I'm going to bring up today, is imprecatory prayers. Imprecatory. And that's found in Psalm 35, where we're saying, God, visit the evil, stop them. Push them back. And I'll, and I'll stop with that right there. So God has given us the privilege of prayer. Will you use that privilege? Or are you just going to get hung up on your stuff? Television set and the, tel- and the phones and your computer and iPads and Facebook and Facebook, you know, and you're just going to wear your finger out. Why not pray? Spend more time. Save your finger and, and pray. And knowing that as you pray, things are going to happen. As you pray, you will see things happen. And they'll happen faster and faster and faster and faster in your life. You don't have to live a defeated life. You don't have to live a, a life of, oh, just a little old worm me. I'm just a little old worm and whatever happens, inshallah. No, it's not the case. We have been given and the, the, the uh, privilege and the authority and the expectation by God to use the authority He's given us. You've got someone who's sick in your family, you've got a bad illness, you can continue to pray over that person over and over and over. Now just before I close, I want to make another comment about that, about being persistent. At all the revivals I've read about, 
have always had somebody who stood in the gap crying out to God night and day. It's usually an individual or a handful of individuals that will cry out night and day, God, do something. God, bring your power on this world again. God, bring a revival into this city. God, bring a revival into this nation. If you look at, if you look at uh, the Greek Pentecostal revival, you'll see William Seymour. He was a, a black man, the son of, a, of slaves, uh, one eye, and he was praying five and a half hours a day. It was a five and a half hours a day for God to move. Five and a half hours a day. And the Lord said, I want you to pray more. Lord, I'm already praying five and a half hours a day. And he started to pray seven hours a day. But out of that great revival that happened, when the power of God moved on Azusa Street in San Francisco, or Los Angeles, excuse me, when the power of God moved, as I mentioned earlier, that power was spread all over the world that brought a great awakening in this land. There was, uh, there was Father Nash of, uh, of, um, of uh, Finney. What's Finney's first name? Uh, Charles Finney, Charles Finney, the second great awakening. And Father Nash would pray, he would go into a city, and he'd rent a cellar or a basement or something. He had eye troubles, but he liked a dark place, and he would have a handful of intercessors, and they would pray, and they would pray. And the presence and power of God when Finney would speak, it was so powerful that Finney would say, get out of the trees. Men would climb up in the trees so they could see better out in the, out, out, uh, you know, in the parks and things. Come out, get out of the trees, because when the power of God comes, you're going to be falling out of those trees. The power of God was so strong. And if you read about the Smith sisters and the Hebrides revivals in Scotland, in northern, north, I think it's northeast, northwest Scotland, up in the islands there, the Hebrides, there was the Smith sisters who prayed night and day, night and day, because they saw their young people were drifting off into the things of the world, and the bars and the saloons and the pubs. And they began to pray. And so at one point, the, the power of God came, came so strongly that the stones farmhouses were shaken. There was an earthquake in that land. And the people, they said, the people that witnesses, they said it was like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden they started to see lights go on all through the countryside. Lights, people's lights. And they all went to the kirk, to the church. And there they were, people lined up. All, nobody called them. Hundreds of people had come to the church. And there was, a, there was no service planned, but the power of God, and there's more and more. And so over and over and over, you see people that stand in the gap. Listen, we need somebody standing in the gap in America today. We need somebody standing in a gap in our city today. We need people that will pay a price to intercede for the power of God to move in this city, to change the hearts and lives of men. We need that desperately. Will you be a part of that? You know, if you just prayed a little bit more and call out to the Lord a little bit more, maybe on your way into work or on your drive or when you're laying in bed at night, but if you'll take time to be purposeful to pray, we will see more and more of the power of God and more victory for the Lord Jesus Christ in our community. Listen, that's the truth. Yes. That is the truth. <clears throat> About three years, four years ago, we realized we weren't praying. And our church was birthed in prayer. And we got off, and we, we, we weren't praying and interceding. And I began to say, we're not praying. We're not praying for the lost. We have no heart for the lost. What's going on with us? And we began to pray, and I've been pushing our people and encouraging you to pray and pray. And guess what happened? Guess what happened the next week? Nothing significant. What happened the third week? The second week? Third week? Fourth week? Nothing significant. Fifth week? Sixth week? 
Second month, third month, fourth month, fifth month, sixth month. A good year or more went by. And we start to see the fruit come in. We start to see the fruit come in. We start to see it happening. Prayer doesn't just change things overnight. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it's that persistent. God, I'm not letting you go until I see this happen. God, I'm not letting you go until I see my kids come into the kingdom. God, I'm not letting you go until I see your power changing the hearts, the stony hearts of this community. God, I'm not letting you go. That's the persistent power of prayer. And God expects it from us. You understand? We're not bothering Him. He's crying out to us. Pray. Pray. Jesus tells the story over and over. He tells the different examples of prayer. One is the widow. Remember the widow woman? That went to the unrighteous judge day after day after day after day. And finally the judge says, okay, all right, let's be weary me out. He says, my father, you're not going to weary him out. He'll answer you even sooner. But come and pray. And if we're not praying, we have nobody to blame for our defeat. Because the devil is very, very, very clever. And he's very persistent. And we've seen far too many people being snatched up into his clutches. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Well, all right. If I don't challenge you, why did you even come? What's the sense of coming if you don't get challenged, right? You can stay home and watch TV and not have a challenge. So I'm going to challenge you today to pray and commit yourself to more prayer. Right? And I want you to, to, to make that commitment to the Lord in your prayer. Would you do that? Yes. You don't have to. But if you'd like to do it, I'd like to lead you in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive us for not praying as we ought. Forgive us for allowing the spirit of doubt and unbelief to overshadow us. Forgive us for being distracted by so many things that are so temporal. But Lord, I know that praying is eternal. It brings eternal results. God, please forgive me. I can't change my own heart. I ask you to change my heart. And give me a passion to pray. A grace to pray. And faith to receive. To believe and receive. I give you all the glory and praise, Lord Jesus. Fill my heart. Fill my life. And I'd be a great prayer warrior for you, Lord, in the kingdom. In your name we pray. Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be afraid. For the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, set your feet. You can say, kingdom of God is coming into this place. The kingdom of God is coming into this place. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. If, you need, if you'd like some prayer, some of you that raised your hand earlier, please come to the front. And if we have uh, food and fellowship in our lower level. You're all welcome. See you Wednesday night.
Hurry up and pray while the juice is still on.